You can heal the body all day long and die and go to hell. What is the greater miracle? A physical healing or the spiritual healing? Being born from above. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. I've entitled the sermon this morning, From Sight to Faith. Some 19 years ago, I married my wonderful wife, Jennifer. We've been blessed with several children, seven to be exact, eight, one is in heaven. In almost 17 years of parenting, I've learned a few things about raising children. One of the common things that you notice in young children at an early age is what they call separation anxiety. Separation anxiety is a normal stage of development in a young child's life, an infant. Young children often experience this period of separation anxiety, but in reality, most children outgrow that fear by the age of three. In reality, these children ultimately have to learn to trust, to walk in faith, that just because their parent is not there doesn't mean they won't return. Children at a very early age have to learn to move from sight to faith. When children begin to understand that their parents will return, that they're not being left for eternity, they can begin to live more comfortably in walking by faith and not by sight. If you recall in John chapter 14, we find ourselves here in this text today in which John is expressed that Jesus is about to go away. He said consistently in John that he is going to die on the cross and he is going to depart from their presence. We've been in the upper room discourse and he has been explaining this all the way up to our verse today. And these disciples are like children at a early age with anxiety disorder. And if you put yourselves in their shoes, I think you could quite understand why they had this separation anxiety that they are struggling with. Listen, Jesus had been with them for three and a half years. He has taken care of them. He has provided for them. He has watched over them. He has protected them. He has taken them from life and death situations and have rescued them. Jesus has revealed His authority to them. And He has provided for them physically. He's done amazing signs and wonders in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. They believe. But He is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. They truly believe that He is their Messiah. But they will have to learn to depend on Jesus. They've learned to walk by 
sight. They've learned to trust in a Jesus that they could physically see, a Jesus that they could physically fellowship with and touch with their hands and see with their eyes. But a time is coming when they will have to learn to move from sight to faith. I mean, can you blame them? These men are like our children in the fact that we as parents take care of our children. Providing, protecting, and they are going to have to learn to be in absolute dependence without Him in person. All of the gaps haven't been filled yet. We know the story. We know the end. Yet Jesus is reminding them, I am going away, and where I'm going you cannot come. At least not right away. These men are experiencing separation, anxiety, and they will have to learn to move from sight to faith. The reason I think this introduction is so relevant for us is because many of us are just like these men. You see, we've walked so long trusting in what we can see. We've Walk so long in trusting in what we can touch. We've walked so long in our abilities to put our trust in material things, in our bank accounts. And what we're going to have to understand, like these men are going to have to understand, that if, 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 if we are going to walk by faith and not by sight, we will have to put complete trust in Jesus Christ, and move from sight to faith. So can I ask you this morning, are you walking by sight or by faith? With all that's happening in our world, in our nation, in our lives, how easy it is to be tempted to walk by sight. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 14. We're going to read verse 7 to 14. John 14, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now on you know Him and have seen Him. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you that yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I, I, I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, He remains in me. He does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of what? The works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Three things that I want you to gather from this text as, as we move from sight to faith. First, we're going to move from sight to faith. We must know who Christ is. 
Secondly, we must know how Christ works. And thirdly, we must know what Christ has declared. So let us begin by first recognizing that we must know who Christ is. The reality is, is what you think matters. And what you think about Jesus matters even more. It is very obvious that as we look at this text of Scripture, there is a a great disconnect between the disciples and how they understood Christ and who He was. They simply do not understand fully who Jesus is. They were in the process of understanding, and that's important. They don't know fully yet. They will soon enough. But the reality is, is they are in the process of learning who Christ is. Maybe you can feel that a little bit yourselves as a young Christian. When you were saved, you didn't know everything about Christ. You just knew the gospel. And you responded to Christ by faith. If you were truly saved, that's how you were saved. But Jesus has just encouraged these disciples with a promise from heaven in verses 1-6. to He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus reminds him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But they do not fully grasp what Jesus is saying. Not only has He revealed His reality of who He is, but they have the inability, it seems, to grasp. John says in verse 4 that they are going away and Jesus says He'll come again and there's this confusion. The suffering servant doesn't fit into their theology. Their theology relates Him to Messiah. They could not come to grips with the reality that Jesus was going to die. The Messiah is what? The conquering King that was come to, to remove them from Roman oppression. There's no way the Messiah is going away. Surely we were misunderstanding you, Jesus. So Jesus reminds them that He is indeed the only way into salvation, that He is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, that He is the avenue in which we get to the Father. But they've missed it. And here in verse 7, He says, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. It's very clear that they are not fully aware of who Christ is and who God is by what Jesus says. Because Jesus was one with the Father, we already learned in verses 1-6, to He embodied the truth and the life of the Father. And so He could say to His disciples this very truth, really, if you had known Me, guys, you would have known the Father also. So what Jesus is saying is that they don't know fully yet who He is, who Christ is, who God is. They've walked with Him. They've been taught by Him. They've seen His miracles. They've watched His claims. Yet they do not fully know Him nor God. True knowledge of the Father, listen, cannot be obtained without true knowledge of the Son. He was indeed God in the flesh. 
And he will unfold this truth more. But in reality, what we think of Christ matters. What you think of Jesus will ultimately determine what you think of God. No one can say these men understood fully who he was. None of these men can move from sight to faith until they understand truly who Christ is. Interestingly enough, they are told by Christ, from now on, you know Him and have seen Him. Did something change all of a sudden? Did Christ all of a sudden reveal Himself fully to these men? Because all of a sudden Jesus says, "If you now that you will see Him and know Him, What we really see here is that Jesus reveals His true identity to these men. And not only to these men, but to us today. He is indeed deity. He is indeed the exact representation of the Father. And to deny Jesus is to deny the Father. And to deny God is to deny Jesus. Over and over and over throughout the book of John, Jesus has declared that He is God in flesh. They've tried to stone Him. They've tried to run Him out of the temple. They called him a blasphemer. Why? Because he has consistently made himself out to be God. And what does that have to do with us this morning? Because what you believe about Jesus Christ means everything. He is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. While these men don't fully understand Jesus and their Christology, Jesus is declaring to them that he is indeed God in flesh. Many will call Jesus a good man. Many will call Jesus a good prophet, a moral teacher. Every cult is divided on this point. Jesus is God in flesh. You ask the Jehovah's Witnesses what they believe, Jesus is not God in flesh. You ask the Mormons what they believe, Jesus is not God in flesh. It matters what we think about Christ. Because there are many people trying to attack us with their false doctrine and their false theology in this day and age. Jesus is God in flesh. And unless we come to grips with that, unless we admit that He is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He is God in flesh, listen, our souls will be damned to hell. What we think of Christ matters. What you believe about Christ. They haven't fully understand yet this Christ and how Jesus is connected to God. And so Philip speaks up on behalf of all of the disciples because they are all in the same boat of misunderstanding. They don't have a clear grasp and they will not until the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost ultimately. And then they will grasp the connection. Look look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 22. And I just want to go through here and, and, and understand their perspective now after Pentecost. After the, the, the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Their understanding of Christ and God has completely changed. Men of Israel, listen. 
to these words, Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. Things which God performed through Him. Verse 23, uh, a predetermined and foreplanned knowledge of God. Over to verse 30, and so because was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath. Verse 32, that Jesus, God raised up again. Verse 33, and therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God. Verse 36, therefore let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ of all. They have a different understanding of Jesus after the fact. And so the reality is they they, they haven't come to grips yet between God and Christ and His deity. And so He says here in verse 8, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. They're so stuck in sight. Tangible Jesus. One they can touch and see. We want a vision of God. We want a visible God. We want a God that we can touch. We want a God that we can handle. We want a God like you, Christ, here with us. We can only believe by sight. Isn't that what happened in the Old Testament? When they built the golden calf? Wow! Listen, if we don't have a God, they're saying, that we can see is going to be really hard, Jesus, for us to believe. They were stuck in this walking by sight. Remember what Thomas said? If I don't see, I won't believe. But Jesus is going away and they're going to need to move from sight to faith. But they say, God, they say, Christ, show us God. The audacity of that question. The demand. It's a really sad request. It's always disheartening when people express their desire to see God or hear the voice of God. Because really, it shows that these men have missed who Jesus said that He is. And listen, I pray that we will not miss who Christ is. These, did, these men didn't have the entire story. They were living it out. But we have the entire book. We know the whole story. And yet still, people miss it today. That Christ is indeed God in flesh. Dwelt among us. So Philip's question, listen, really shows their lack of faith. Even those people today searching and seeking for signs and wonders and miracles and everything else, as if that's enough. Philip had just one simple request, didn't he? Show us the Father and it's enough. Is that all you really want to see? That's the biggest request you got, Philip? You want to see God? 1 Timothy 6, 15-17. He is the blessed and the only sovereign God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immorality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To Him be the honor and eternal dominion. 1 Timothy 1.17 To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible. 
The only God. Be honor and glory. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. Exodus 33, 20. He, God, said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Deuteronomy 4.12, then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound words, but no, saw no form. There was only words. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Listen, I hate to say it, but it will never be enough. If he raised a man from the dead, it wouldn't be enough. Because if it was that simple, listen. God could have just showed up. But no, that isn't how God does it. No, He showed up in human flesh. He lived a perfect life and was crucified and died on our behalf that we might have life to grant victory to those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, I hear it even so today. Show us God and it is enough. Give us signs and wonders and miracles. We will believe. Listen, they wouldn't believe. No, seeing God is not enough because God has shown Himself plenty clear in general revelation. Go outside, look up in the sky. The heavens declare the glory of God. He's given us His special revelation, His Word, and He speaks to us through His living and active Word. If you want to see God, if you want to hear the voice of God, if you want to see a miracle, open your Bible and read it. And the living God will speak to your soul. He will never contradict His Word. I'm a bit passionate on that because I've heard more false prophecies in the last four weeks of my life than I've ever heard before. It is pitiful. People are desperate. This book contains everything you need pertaining to life and to godliness. He speaks loud through His Word. The problem is we don't listen. We would rather listen to a man. Listen, I don't need a man telling me what God said. He has given me His full counsel of His Word, and it is sufficient, and it is full. And if I want to hear from God, He can speak to me through His Word boldly. And if I would just be willing to listen and proclaim the truth, He will work in mighty ways for His glory. After seeing Christ in His resurrection state, Thomas replied, My Lord... And my God. They were stuck in the need of seeing. And I believe we're living in a day when many are stuck in the need of seeing. But notice what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have seen, who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas saw, that's great. He had great faith, but blessed is he who had not seen and yet believed. That would be you and that would be me. We must move from sight to faith. 
And if these men are going to be successful in honor of the Lord Jesus Christ after His departure, they will, like us, have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. They must understand who Christ is. And so He clears it all up in verses 9 and 10. Jesus said, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know Me, Philip? The one who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father. Open your eyes, Philip. I am God in flesh. I am the exact representation I am the Father One. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among you, Philip. I am here. And if you've seen me, you've seen God. You see, Jesus is comforting them with the reality that He is going away, but listen, He's not going to leave them as orphans. We must keep our eyes on Christ. I've been so long with you, and yet you have not come to see me. Have you not seen my works, Philip? Were you not there, Philip, when I fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish? Were you not there, Philip, when I raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days ago? Were you not there, uh, Philip, when, when I gave the blind man sight? Were you not there when the deaf man began to hear? Were you not there, Philip, when I calmed the raging seas and removed the storms of nature? Were you not there, Philip, when you, you guys cast the nets and they filled up the boat so much they began to sink in the middle of the day in shallow water? Were you not there when the demon-possessed man was cleared in his mind? Philip, have you forgotten Nathaniel, whom you called to come and see me, the Christ, the Messiah? When you said, we have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, all of those years of seeing, and yet you have not come to know me. If seeing was enough, these men would have completely understood. Listen, no signs, no wonders, no miracles will ever cause one to believe. Seeing will not result in true, genuine faith. No man has seen God at any time in His fullness because God is not visible. He has never made Himself more known with more clarity than through His Son, Jesus Christ. They wanted a vision of God. A visible. And if we want that, we just need to read our Bibles. Because the Word of God tells you all you need to know about the God of the Bible. It is the breathed out living and active Word. And if you want to see God, look no further than Jesus Christ. Jesus continues to question and probe these apostles. In chapter 14, verse 10, He continues, Do not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in Me? The words I say to you, not I speak on My own initiative, but the Father, as He remains in Me, does His works. Listen, His, His, His words, His works are all from God. 
Jesus only speaks what the Father tells him to speak because they are one. We must understand that Christ is indeed God in flesh because we will never, ever walk by faith unless we understand completely who Christ is. Rather, Jesus reminds these apostles, verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Only God can do what I do, He says. The works should solidify my deity. The words and the works of Jesus are given to Him ultimately by the Father. This reality ensures to us that Jesus does indeed reveal God to us. So who is Christ? He is God in flesh. John reveals the person of Christ, and it's God among us. The only way that we, in our own personal lives, is to move from sight to faith is to understand who Christ is in His fullness. That He, God, left the domains of heaven, burst through the floor system in the person of Christ and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, never sinned, was crucified, buried and rose again from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And then later in John 14, He promises to send the Holy Spirit to whom every believer who trusts in Christ is indwelt. We have to understand who Christ is if we are going to walk by faith. Secondly, we must know how Christ works. He says here in verse 12, in light of 7 to 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. John begins to describe how Christ works. He sets a prerequisite for the parallel work that he does that will be done also by those who believe in Christ. Believe in him. He has just stated in verse 11 that we are to believe Him, which simply means that we are to trust what He has said. And now in verse 12, we are told that in order to obtain the abilities and the potential and the power of the one must believe in Christ. Now don't misunderstand me here. I understand my charismatic friends want to use this as a proof text that there's still miracles today. But must I remind you that this is a promise to the apostles. There are not apostles today. Let me give you three biblical reasons they're not apostles today. Three qualifications that Scripture gives that there are not apostles today. Number one, an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. That ain't going to happen no more. Secondly, an apostle had to be a directly appointed by Jesus Christ Himself. That is not going to happen anymore. Mark 3.14, Luke 6.13, Acts 1.2, verse 24, chapter 10, verse 41, Galatians 1.1. And thirdly, an apostle had to be affirmed by the confirmation of his message and message with miraculous signs and wonders. 
Listen, there has always throughout history been a temptation to read that statement in the terms of some kind of ongoing ministry of miracles that would eclipse even the miracles of Jesus. I'm okay with the apostles having the gift of the Spirit and doing miracles. We know the Scriptures teach that. Praise God. God used those apostles for the building up and the edification of the church. The the foundation of the church was built upon the apostles and prophets. But do we think that Jesus here is talking about greater miracles than He would do? Indeed, greater works than these He will do because I am going to the Father. Listen, it is not because the person is greater, the apostle is greater, it's because Jesus is going to the Father. Jesus is talking about the miracle of salvation. This unfolds at Pentecost. This unfolds when God the Father releases God the Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who put their faith in Christ. Yes, Jesus did miracles. But His miracles were always emphasized with the message of salvation. Remember when Jesus told the the lame man, your sins are forgiven. What did they say? Oh, He's blaspheming. Why? Because only God can forgive sins. And it's almost entertaining how Jesus responds. Is it easier to forgive sin? Or cause a lame man to walk. And Jesus says, get up. And he gets up and he walks. Did the apostles do miracles? Yes. But it was done to prove and to establish who they were for the building up and the foundation of the church. The apostles didn't do greater works than Jesus. I mean, greater works can hardly here mean that the the believers will do more dynamic works than raising Lazarus from the dead. How do you get any more significant than that? Changing the water to wine, walking on the Sea of Galilee, multiplying fish and loaves and feeding 5,000 with just a few, raising Jairus' daughter back from the dead, calming the raging storms and seas, giving the blind man sight at Bethsaida. Listen, this isn't about signs and wonders or any other amazing act of Jesus. So what is he talking about here? This is important. I think the hint here is how Christ works. How the greater works take place. And it is because Jesus is going to the Father. They would be able to better walk by faith and not by sight when He has gone to the Father. They could not see and understand that. We are told in the next few verses that when He goes away, that He's going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and that He will come. He will not leave us abandoned as orphans. The greater work of the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Listen, the number of people in Christ would grow exponentially. There would be an explosion of the gospel in which we are told that when Peter, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the good news, the gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and in a moment, 3,000 came to Christ. 
There was probably more who came to believe in Jesus Christ in the matter of one sermon than Jesus' three and a half years. That's a greater work. And now, how many years down the road are we still preaching the gospel and souls are still being delivered and coming? That's the greater work. Listen, the disciples were doing greater work than Jesus in the fact that they had the privilege of testifying by the word and by deed in the finished work of Jesus Christ and a fuller coming of the kingdom as it is ushered in. Whereas during Jesus' ministry prior to His death, burial, and resurrection, they only foreshadowed these things. Kossenberger reminds us that many early interpreters took the greater things to refer the missionaries' successes of the early church. In relation to the book of Acts, this is certainly true because Jesus' followers were in a position to influence a greater number of people to spread out over a much larger geographical area. Listen, His resurrection from the dead proved His deity. Jesus indeed was limited to the particular place where He has been at any given time. But when He goes to the Father, His help will be available to the disciples, to you and to me, in all parts of all of the world. Because we no longer live, but Christ who lives in us. That is the beautiful message. The hope, the miraculous wonders in which God, in that sense, their works will be greater than the historical Jesus was able to perform during His earthly ministry. When Jesus was crucified, how many were following Him? Only about 500. 3,000 came to Christ at Pentecost. In just a few days, 5,000 men, not even concluding the households. This doesn't discredit the apostles and the works that they did. They did a miraculous wonders and signs. Great miracles, but the greatest and the great miracle was the exponential impact that the gospel of Jesus Christ would make until He returned again. He has told us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And He says, Lo, I am with you always. He can't be there always unless He goes to the Father. We can no longer have to worry about living by sight, by circumstance, but we can trust that as the crucified Christ was buried and rose and ascended to the right hand of the Father, that He has indeed sent His Spirit to indwell in us, to give us the power of the proclamation of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that many souls would come to know the Savior. Listen, if you want to see a miracle, go preach the gospel. But I'm willing to bet most in here have never preached the gospel from start to finish. But it is the greatest miracle of all to watch a dead life breathe life. It is a miracle that only God can do through regeneration. That He can declare you right before a holy and perfect God through the death and burial of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the resurrection from the dead. 
You can heal the body all day long and die and go to hell. What is the greater miracle? A physical healing or the spiritual healing? Being born from above. That is eternal. What should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? If they were going to move from sight to faith, they must understand that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in them and through them, will, will be the, the magnifying work of Christ. He will not abandon them, no. He will not leave them. He will come to live and make His abode among them, in them. God will and has worked salvation in an unprecedented manner. Greater works among all. Inward in our community and outward to the globe. You know, we have been so blessed by the gospel message making it to every continent in the world other than Antarctica. Is this, am I the only one who's amazed by that? That the gospel message that we're preaching this morning will most likely hit over 25,000 homes. Listen, the greater work is the potential of the gospel to go from here and out into the world. Listen, we need the gospel to go forth because Christ will not come back until every soul is heard and responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have been embarked with the duty to go and preach Christ and Him crucified. Oh, what a joy it is to see a soul come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater blessing. He goes to the Father. It's how He works. And He uses me and you to do a great and mighty work through the power of the Spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to walk by faith and not by sight, we're going to have to trust that Christ, through His departure from the physical, will indwell us spiritually giving us confidence that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens to your bank account or to your job or your health, the reality is, is that we have been promised a future where He is going away to prepare a place for us so that when He comes back, He will receive us to ourselves or His self that where we are, He is. Listen, He's coming here or you're going there. It really makes no difference. The question is, what side of the line you are on? Listen, if we're going to move from sight to faith, we must know who Christ is, how Christ works. And thirdly, we must know what Christ declares. The last point is going to deal with the power of prayer based upon the promises that He is going to the Father. Therefore, as we work in unity with the triune Godhead, Jesus declares, whatever you ask in My name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. The success, the greater miracle, the magnitude of salvation that would take place, the success of the apostles, listen, was immediately connected to the power of prayer in the name of Christ. His departure doesn't mean that he is withdrawing from them, but rather his departure would allow him to be more present among them than ever before. That wherever they go, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. This isn't just some formula to put on the request of whatever we want in the name of Jesus. 
I want a Ferrari in the name of Jesus. I want a bigger bank account in the name of Jesus. That job promotion in the name of Jesus. I feel like being an NBA basketball star in the name of Jesus. I want to be an NFL football player in the name of Jesus. I demand who the leader of this country is in the name of Jesus. Is he literally talking about anything and everything just ended with the name of Jesus? Well, that's what the prosperity gospel teaches. What I confess, I possess. That was a phrase coined by a free will Baptist pastor by the name of Essek William Kenyon. Kenyon's ideas, listen, infiltrated the charismatic movement, impacted Kenneth Hagin, the word, the father of the word of faith movement, and down through the line impacted prosperity gospels like Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, Joel Onstein, Joyce Myers. Listen, the list goes on and on and on. We are living in a day of epic issues. You know the problem with churches not meeting? They have to watch most of these prosperity teachers on TV. And they're buying into the lie. You have no more power in your name than a kid screaming at a bear. How many people have declared President Trump president in the name of Jesus? Not yet. It ain't happened, is it? We have to be very careful what we proclaim in the name of Jesus. Because when we do that, we are saying for Jesus' sake. We are speaking on behalf of God. And what the Word of Faith movement does is it says you are a little God. And what you declare, you, you create power. Listen, if that was the case, if you could create something that makes you God and God your little puppet, we better be careful not to be idolatry when it comes to what we speak. It's obviously not biblical to think that or assume that we can get anything we want through the power of prayer by just throwing on Jesus' name to the end. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. I, I, I don't typically say this, but I watched two messages from Joel Osteen this week. It is nauseating. What's really interesting is I jumped from one to the other and I couldn't tell which sermon I was in. They all sound the same. Name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Jeez, man. You know, that must be the church full of the most disappointed and depressed people in all of the world. Because I don't know about you, but when I look across that crowd in that stadium, I'm thinking, is everybody in there wealthy, healthy, and wise? That ain't the world I live in. No, I live in a world where there's real problems. I live in a world where people I love are diagnosed with cancer. And how dare someone say they don't have enough faith to be healed? That's perverted. Listen, God is sovereign in light of what we speak. We don't control God. God controls us. And what He does is He tells us that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, while we, we may have a baloney head for a president, let me tell you something. God is in absolute control and all things will be revealed and God will stand on His throne yet no matter who is in the White House. So I always want you to know this morning, be careful what you say in the name of Jesus because you might become across like a prosperity preacher and you might end up being a pleasure seeker 
We might end up being greedy people living for the things of this world and pretending it's spiritual. To ask something in the name of Jesus is to ask something for Jesus' sake. You remember Jesus sweating blood in that garden? Take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. If anybody in the name of Jesus could have controlled the outcome, it would have been Christ. But he submitted to the Father's will. And you and I, yes, we pray. God has given us the power of prayer. But we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and we trust God for the outcome. Because we trust that God is a good God, even in the midst of trouble. That God has a greater plan. He has a purpose for us. Romans 8, 28. He loves you so much. He cares about your report. He cares about your bank account. He cares about your broke down van that took place this morning. That was my wife's, by the way. I I declare it in the name of Jesus. just Just kidding. Just kidding. But we have to be careful because, listen, God has a greater plan for our lives. And many times, listen, I don't know about you, but it's when I'm in the valley that I have to actually look up. It's in those times, and I'm reminded of James when it says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God loves you, and He's provided a home for you. If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if we're going to be followers of Christ, walking out our calling, then we must be a people that learns to walk by faith and not by sight. When we pray and it doesn't happen, we can still trust that God is in control and that He is able. So how are you walking today? Are you walking by faith or by sight? You're living by what you can see and understand or trusting Him by faith. Trusting in the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-compassionate God. Because when we understand who Christ is, that He is truly God in flesh, that He is indeed the exact representation of the Father, listen, when He speaks a promise, it will remain, because God is not a liar. His Word is sufficient. And when we know how Christ works, that He is going to the Father and He will create an opportunity for greater works to be done by the power of the triune God in our lives and through our lives, we will become more hungry for the proclamation of the gospel in promoting Jesus to a lost and dying world. Yes, greater works you will do because He has gone to the Father. Whatever you ask in His name, He will do it. Because when you ask it in the name of Jesus, you are submitting to the will of God. And therefore, you won't ask based upon your own personal desire, but based upon the will of God for His glory. If God can be best glorified through your circumstance, then so be it. Maybe 
someone will come to Christ because of your faithful walk through a difficult time. There is true freedom in trusting Christ and His will to be done. Like Christ prayed, we have to learn to trust in God, not our circumstances, not our situations, but exclusively relying on the power and the sovereignty of God so that we might move from sight to faith. How about you today? Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Listen, that's where it begins. It begins by, by trusting Christ. And when you put your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not your works, Jesus says your greatest deeds are filthy rags. Galatians 2.21 says if you could be saved by doing the law or doing good deeds, then Christ died needlessly. No, your faith must be in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That when God sent His Son into the world, He died for you and for me, for all that would trust in Him. And when you put your faith, He takes His righteousness, He imputes it to you, and then you are regenerated and you become a child of God, and you have a home waiting for you. Where there is no more pain, there is no more tears, there is no more suffering. Some of the greatest men of God and women of God were martyred for their faith. And they, they took it. Why? Because they walked by faith and not by sight. Put your trust in Christ today. He is indeed your only hope for His glory. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you are challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.